listening to the CD Baby. CD Baby. CD Baby. DIY Musician Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to the CD Baby DIY Musician Podcast. My name is Kevin Bruner, your host for the show. And this is episode number 151, where you're going to hear from Josh Collum and his MicroSync success story. Before we get to my interview with Josh, I want to remind you that our first ever DIY Musician Conference is coming this fall, October 23rd through 25th in Chicago, Illinois, at the Congress Plaza Hotel right downtown, right next to Millennium Park. It's going to be a great time. The ticket price is only $49. We wanted to keep it affordable because we know that uh, most conferences are so expensive, it's hard for artists to get there. But we want this conference to be affordable and to give you great actionable advice to help you move your career forward. There's going to be some really great speakers and panels and workshops where you get some hands-on, one-on-one advice. We're going to have some hangout time, a showcase, an open mic, all sorts of cool stuff. Plus, you'll get to meet the CD Baby crew. I'll be there hanging out the whole time and I want to meet as many of you as possible. Again, it's just 49 bucks, and that price goes up at the end of July. So you just have about four or five more weeks left before that price starts going up. So lock in your tickets now. You can find out more information at DIYMusicianCon.com. Uh, that's DIYMusicianCon.com. I'll put a link in the show notes of this podcast where you'll be able to click right on over there. And uh, special thanks to our, our sponsors, Rumblefish, Gig Salad, and Berkeley Music. All of them are super excited to be working with uh, you guys for this conference and really help provide an environment where you can move your career forward in a positive way. So again, October 23rd through 25th in Chicago, Tickets are on the website. I'll link to it in the podcast show notes. I hope to see you there. So this episode, we're going to be talking about a MicroSync success story. And uh, for the record, what MicroSync is, is really a lot of the ways music is being used on social networks, uh, videos, YouTube, uh, you know, music fan or just general consumer out there is wanting to post stuff online and they want to put music to it. And it's different than how Hollywood or TV shows approach licensing music. So when we're talking about MicroSync, we're really talking about how the opportunities are out there for you to really empower music fans to use your music in a way that can drive revenue that uh, was previously unimaginable. So this is a great story, uh, a great interview with Josh Collum about how this drastically changed his career and his approach to making music. And I know you're going to love it. So let's check it out. Well, joining me is singer-songwriter, artist, entrepreneur Josh Collum. Josh, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing well. We were just sitting here talking, and, and 
We're certain that uh, your brother and I, our paths have crossed. <laughs> we may have even played together in the past back in college. There's something that throughout this podcast we might make a connection at some point. Yeah, so yeah. So stay tuned. That's that's always cool. Well, we're here at high above the the Portland skyline at the Rumblefish headquarters to talk about uh, your success with uh, sync licensing and micro sync licensing and and uh, just how you've spun that off into your own business. Um, but let's 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 start uh, let's start at the beginning. Let's do with, it. You 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 go under the you, you release music under the name Secrets in Stereo. Right, right. And uh, tell us about that and, and kind of how your journey started as a musician, and then and then uh, we'll kind of move forward into how you ended up in the world of sync licensing. Sure. So um, I moved to Nashville in uh, I guess it was '07 and started making uh, music. Uh, after a number of really bad names, finally landed on Secrets and Stereo, which I which I thought was I, I like that name. Decent, it is, it's tough to get a name these days. It was decent <laughs> enough to move forward with. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, started making pop music and quickly realized that uh, I didn't want to get out on the road and necessarily build it that way. And I started looking for alternative ways to build a fan base and just happened to be watching TV. And at that point, you know. Uh, sync licensing wasn't as massive as a outlet as it is today. Um, and so I was just watching TV shows and going, huh, I don't know that artist. That's not a major label artist. And I wonder how they got their music on a TV show. And so really just started uh, just very ignorantly <laughs> tracking down, you know, who chooses music for TV shows? What's a music supervisor? How do I get in touch with these people? And um, had a five-song EP and just started um, finding emails and started emailing folks. And um, luckily, the music was good enough to back it up because otherwise I would have burned a lot of bridges very early on. What time frame was this? This was probably 07, 08. Um, started reaching out. My whole goal was a 10% rule. If I could email 10 folks and one of them got back to me, that was success. That's, and you know, maybe that was just me trying to feel good about myself, but that, that was my goal. <laughs> just get one person to click, uh, click on the email actually and listen to the music. And so from there, I just, you know, supervisors actually started, started using it. Um, and you know, got started with MTV and they used a number of songs. Um, all five of my songs within, within six months or so were licensed. And so um, I said, okay, well, this is cool. Uh, you know, I had a song on the Hills, which had about 3 million viewers. And so I looked at that and I was like, how long would it take me to reach 3 million people if I went out on the road and played to 25 or 50 a night? And so it just made sense to me, um, especially where everything was moving. Everything was already starting to move towards digital that uh, it just made sense that that would be the way to to connect. And so from there it grew. You know, I, I was able to go back and reach out to um, other supervisors that maybe didn't uh, open my email the first time, and I had a bit of a track record, and that allowed for, you know, um, the ability to keep that train moving, which was nice. Yeah. Before we go any further, I'm curious with uh, reaching out to music supervisors directly, did, did you... How did how did you approach that? Because I, I know a lot of people will hunt down an email, and sure, you know, you're. I, I think that you're you're a ten percent rule. That that's a pretty good one. I, yeah. I, but I I know a lot of people will burn some serious bridges, like you said, by going about it the wrong way. Well, that's what a it, really good. It's a really good question, and I get it 
often and you know the answer is is somewhat harsh but um it's reality the first thing you have to have music that's going to back up your email mm-hmm. you have to it's got to be it's got to be something that that other person that you're asking to take time out of their day to listen that it's going to be usable for them because that's at the end of the day that's the whole point you need to be providing them something that they can use um and so that's that's first you've you, you got to be good enough um and that's a very subjective thing and it's a hard thing to quantify but um you, you got to have the production down the quality's got to be there uh you know the the songwriting's got to be there. There's there's you know there's a certain DNA to a, a song that works for picture, um, and you have to follow those guidelines before before you even want to reach out. If you've got that, if you can check that box, then um, you really have to know how to write an email. And and it sounds so simple, but I actually have a advertising degree, and I I learned so much from that about how to write copy and how to write compelling words to to really get people to act and you want to have one solid call to action and that call to action is click on the link to listen to the music that's it you don't want to ask them multiple questions you don't want to distract you want to say hey here's what i've got i think this is good for you because dot 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 click here to listen and that's really all you can ask for um and then you know then it's just a matter of luck (laughs) you know i mean people People might not see the email. People might see it and it just doesn't register and it gets lost in an inbox of a thousand emails. And so a lot of it's a lot of it's luck. But yeah, the first thing is you gotta be you gotta do your due diligence on the creative side and make sure that your art is is worth it um, to them for sure. When they started reaching out to you and saying, "Hey, this is going to work with our show," did you find that? Uh, you needed help like negotiating the contracts or did you just kind of go with what they said or did you educate yourself on oh, that I side? I did need help. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know it at the time. Because I've I seen did. lots of artists in that situation <laughs> where they get to that point and then they go, they freak out. Oh, MTV oh, yeah. wants my song. It's going to be $100,000. I'm right, like, that's right. not how it works. They'll right, move on. Or they're just, oh, they'll just go, you can have it. Go, go. You know, and yeah. there's, there's, a happy, there's a happy medium there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you don't know what you don't know, right? So I didn't know... Uh, a ton in that world and uh, I was also trying to I was trying to build a resume and so uh, in particular with MTV which um, tends to have uh, smaller budgets for their shows uh, I definitely accepted some things um, just to just to make a name for myself for sure Um, but yeah as time went on I learned um, you know what a license should look like what fees should look like, what are the windows, and that's all, I get that question a lot too, like what are the fees in this window, because it's kind of an unknown, um, and so learning that kind of table of, okay, cable's going to be this to this, and TV's going to be this to this, kind of learning that, and um, like with anything, you know, you learn your you learn your craft, and you learn uh, what your art's worth, and you, you do that over time. Yeah, so you started building a resume, and did that start changing how you created music now that you've got this kind of sync resume and these connections and 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 you know not necessarily wanting to tour maybe you were still touring but i mean did it start changing how you even pursued your career yeah yeah i mean it gave me a it gave me a focus you know and it definitely didn't mean that i wasn't doing other things um but what i found was is that um having my music in tv shows and movies and ads was a launch point and so it, it launched me into, um, you know, college radio and to all these other things. 
Um, but it was a it was a jumping off point, and it created a story, which I think is so key. You know, you, you have to have something that compels people to remember you, and that's very hard these days. It's harder and harder. There's just so much noise out there, and so for me, sync was my story, and my music very naturally fit there. But absolutely, it was as I went forward, it was definitely something that I kept in mind as I made more music. Did people start uh, just reaching out to you for sync placements as now that you you started getting more into your belt, or was it still that that same sales kind of job of reaching? It was both. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, uh, it, it's. This is overstated, but it's a relationship business, and so there's um, you know X amount of music supervisors out there, and um, you know I always my strategy, and not even a strategy, but my DNA is I don't really care about job titles. I just worry about people, and people are people, you know. And so um, over the years, I just built genuine, authentic relationships with with people in that position. Um, and so, yeah, there was a rapport and it was, Hey, what do you, do you have anything new? Can you write something for this? Um, which still goes on today. And then also there's the other side of you have to keep meeting new people and, you know, telling them why that you're worth knowing basically because <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of people trying to do the same thing. Yeah. So you kind of have to naturally say, Hey, you know, I'm, I know what I'm doing. I promise. Please remember me. So, uh, <laughs> I know whenever we start talking about sync placements and you sort of alluded to it to yourself about there's a wide spectrum of fees that get paid, different types of deals. What kind of what kind of fees were you seeing? Sure. Um, well, I'll, I'll give you, you know, I'll give you kind of some basic windows because, uh, you know, different shows have different budgets and I don't want to I don't want to, you know, make claim of of one thing or the other but typically um you know with with cable shows you can get anywhere from uh hundreds to uh lower thousands um with um uh, that's more of the you know reality show world with stuff like abc family world um the cw uh, you can get anywhere from the thousands up into the lower ten thousands with film, you can do anything from ten to thirty or forty thousand, and I'm speaking for indie artists. Obviously, if you have a hit song, then that's a different paradigm. Um, then for trailers, you can do anything from twenty thousand to six digits, and then with ads, um, you know, typically you're going to be uh, fifty thousand on up and well into the six digits. For sure. So that that's kind of the window, um, and that's not an exact science, but uh, that gives you kind of the world that uh, that it can be if you know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I can I can vouch for you. A lot of people who listen think, "He's why won't he get a little more specific?" But it does. It changes. Like it could be one show on the same network could have a much bigger music budget. Totally. Than it. It's totally random how they come. But with with indie artists, there's pretty much some typical ballparks you see, which what you mentioned. Absolutely. You know, it it it's a you know, it's a it's a scale that's going to go from uh, cable to network to movies to trailers to ads. You know, that's kind of the the pyramid um, or the ladder of uh, how fees are going to typically work. Yeah. So let's let's move a little bit in talking about move into some of the the micro sync uh, success that you've mm -hmm. had. So 
how did how did that start for you and and what kind of got you into that world well you know i um i don't remember exactly if there was some some light bulb that went off what i do remember is that um and of course this was you know 0607 so this is the beginning of of youtube pretty much and I noticed that I might have a, a song on a TV show and then all of a sudden there would be videos on YouTube that would pop up and they'd get, you know, tens of thousands of views and it kind of just hit me, huh, I wonder if I should be getting paid on those. <laughs> <laughs> that seems like I should. And so I did a little research and found Rumblefish and uh, reached out to them. They were very early on uh, in their journey as well and found them to be... Um, on the leading edge of something. I didn't know exactly what it was, but it, it felt right. And so uh, I gave my music to them to represent uh, digitally. And, um, you know, for a number of years, that was a very nice, you know, couple hundred dollars every quarter kind of check. But as digital has moved, um, as everything is kind of moved, you know, everybody's a filmmaker now. Everybody has a phone. Everybody can create something. And the platforms have gotten stronger. Um, it's been really, really interesting and exciting uh, seeing a lot of things happen, whether it's, you know, having a song on a TV show and then, you know, someone making a video or someone just falling in love with a song and making a lyric video um, that gets, you know, 100,000 views or, uh, you know, being on a platform like Animoto, which is a, a, a wedding photography platform where they can make slides essentially and put music behind it. Um, and having you know a very popular song on that platform, seeing all these things happen in digital, and and all these companies pop up, and then Rumblefish was positioned very well to uh, capitalize on that. And so what's happened is is uh, I've seen you know checks that were a couple hundred dollars go to a couple thousand, and then eventually uh, tens of thousands um, in a quarter. And it's been a really really interesting space um to kind of watch grow uh, and and watch blossom and you know there's a million ways that 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 can happen uh, there's, there's a million ways you know where people who knows how a video goes viral i mean it's it's such a it's not really something that you can deliberately do but uh you know one one of the big videos that i've had is uh i had uh, there was a someone that made a Twilight video, movie Twilight, and they just literally just put a list of songs on the on the track listing. Very basic video, and they used one of, uh, I believe, Warner's, because they put out, or Atlantic, they put out the uh, soundtrack, and then they shut down the song. They said, nope, can't use that. And so Audio Swap, which was a, a tool uh, that was developed by Rumblefish and YouTube, suggested my song. And they put it in there, and that video's got over 3 million views now. And so not only that video, but there's dozens and dozens and dozens of spawn-off videos that started from that video in the digital space. And so uh, it's been interesting, and I've been able to kind of tap into that Twilight crowd, which is awesome in so many ways. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a crazy world, and, and Rumblefish is in a good spot uh, they got ahead of ahead of the game for sure. Well, that that video is a, a good example. I was watching it last night, mm -hmm. and uh, it is the perfect example of user generated content Absolutely. because it's it's when when people think about someone using their music, even on YouTube, I think artists a lot of times tend to think of like 
someone creating, you know, like a music type video type thing or someone singing along or someone dancing to it. But it literally is the track listing (laughs) for the sound, the soundtrack to Twilight. And it has that many views and it just has some photos of, you know, like stills from the films in between. And it just says track 12 muse in this song. And And uh, yeah, I couldn't explain it. I mean, other than other than and I and I got to know the uh, creator of the video a little bit, and honestly, I think she was just early to the game. She made a video that had a great, uh, you know, her metadata was great in the video. The title of the song was very search, or the title of the video was very searchable, and it just hit. You know, it just hit very very quickly, and you know, it's that not only you're saying you're kind of tapped into the Twilight fans. It's like suddenly. These fans of this movie are turned on to your music in a way that no one would ever think. <laughs> no Absolutely. marketing person would ever go. Ever. You know what we're gonna do? We're gonna go make this video. It's so organic. The track it's so organic, and I think that's what's cool about the the digital space is it's, you know, there's an authenticity to that. You know, it's it's just very natural and 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 it's super connective. You know, you can really connect with people in that space, and you know, I can't really connect with if I've got a song on. Uh, Pretty Little Liars. I can't really connect uh, with them in any way that, except for me, kind of being obtrusive and trying to find those people and then hoping they find me. But in digital, there's such a platform there to to talk, which is interesting. Yeah. So you you said that you know you were getting uh, like quarterly payments from MicroSync uh, licenses, which you know we're talking about YouTube. We're talking about apps like you mentioned Animoto that help you put together slideshows and online videos, kind of a creation tool. And there's a whole bunch of others out there. You started getting some quarterly checks and then suddenly there was a noticeable difference. What what was your reaction to that? I mean, did, did that make you change how you were approaching things? Absolutely. My first reaction was to call RumbleVision and go, what just happened? Like, <laughs> like, are you sure this is right? I don't want to get in trouble for <laughs> right. cashing. Let's I was like, check. can we, like, let's look at the data. Let's figure out what, what this is, you know? And so we identified a few things and, and it definitely, absolutely. I, I wanted to, you know, to cater towards that and recreate it just like, just like I did with traditional sync. Um, you know, and at that point, I had, I had started my own company that we represented a number of artists much like mine. And so we basically plugged in all of our artists into this world, too, and tried to tap into um, what Secrets and Stereo had, had tapped into. So it absolutely changed. It, it opened my eyes, um, for sure. And it's something that I, I preach a lot, um, whether it's to publishers or labels or indie artists. It's like, hey, there is a whole world out there that, that most people aren't taking advantage of Mm -hmm. um and it's it's leaving it's leaving money on the table it's leaving uh buzz on the table um it's leaving marketing on the table it's leaving fans on the table um what did you guys figure out that was causing the change or the connection mm -hmm. what what was the trend you were seeing it was a couple it was it was a few things so one it was the it was the twilight video that i mentioned and all of the spawn off twilight videos from that video uh I had the number one song on the Animoto platform, um, which I didn't know anything about Animoto at that point. I was like, what is this? It sounds like a robot. Um, <laughs> but I got to know who, what it was, and it's an incredible uh, it's an incredible platform. And um, I have two, two songs there in their top, their top ten across their, 
across their whole platform. And then the third piece of it was the trickle down from traditional uh, licensing. So people were seeing and hearing my music on a TV show and then they would go create fan-made videos. And so those things just added up. Uh, you know, YouTube is the number two search engine in the world behind Google. Not just for music, not just for video, but just literally that's where people go to search stuff. And, uh, and so um, to be able to, you know, have videos made for people to be found, that had a huge impact for sure. So it was those three main things. So what, what do you think, um, I mean, were there any specific types of videos that you found were using your music? Um, like, what do you mean? Specific well, types? well, I know that uh, a lot of, uh, that there's several wedding photo videos that have used yours a sure, lot or song, is it? Yeah. Or, the song, uh, that was number one on Animoto is a song called happy. That is very much a wedding song. Um, and it's been used more times than I can count in um, not only uh, wedding videos, but in weddings. I've had people ask if the, people I don't know <laughs> ask if they can play the song in, in their wedding, which is really cool. Do they ask you to come play it? They have. They have before. I've uh, I have sang it at a wedding, but uh, with somebody that I knew, it was not um, a fan or or somebody that lived in Wyoming or somewhere that I had to travel too far. Um, but it's incredibly flattering and it's really fun seeing a song, you know, that you wrote connect with people on such a visceral level. Um, but yeah, ton of, ton of wedding stuff. Um, you know, a, a lot of my music is very relational. So, um, a lot of relational videos. Um, yeah. Part of the reason why I ask, uh, cause I know that you've, you've had some success in the, with the, the wedding views, but uh, the song's titled "Happy," and I was curious if if you were seeing that th because it was is a it was such a searchable word that that was a, a pretty unexpected trigger where people go looking. I need a song for my video. I want something happy, and there, there's, right, your, right. there's your song. It's very possible <laughs> they'd be even disappointed because the song is definitely it's it's, you know, it's, it's not, not it's not a bouncy song. It's a it's a it's yeah it's not Pharrell for sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I always think about that. I always want titles that are, that are, that are the keywords of the song. Um, cause it's, you know, half the battle is being found for sure. So that could definitely, could have definitely had a piece of it, but I think metadata in general, not just song title, but, but making sure that, you know, you've got your moods down, you've got your themes down. And so when you're on that platform, you're very findable. Um, that's, that's huge. I know one of, one of the things I used to do, still do, is if I had a song, I know a song's coming up in a TV, in a TV show or a movie or whatever, I'll go in and create like a, a Google question ahead of the show. And I'll say, what's, what's that song and such and such with the lyric this and whatever and aired on this date. And then I'll answer it myself. That's, that's a great trick. Yeah. So, so Yahoo answers and Google, I think it's Google answers. You know, if you go search that, that they're going to put that at the top. You don't know how many times I've done that exact search, like, and yeah. I've gotten the answer from Yahoo questions or Google questions. Totally. They're going to put that at the top because yeah. that's their company. Um, so yeah, kind of getting ahead of it and being found because you've got kind of that fleeting moment of, of, uh, people finding you that you want to capture as many people as possible. Well, um, Speak a little bit about metadata, because I know that's one thing artists struggle with. They struggle with 
you know, just like most artists struggle with writing their own bio, they struggle with describing their own music. Mm-hmm. What are some tips or, or advice you can give artists about describing the, it? I think the biggest thing is think about, put yourself in the position of the person that's searching, that's trying to find your song. What would they search? If they didn't know the title, they didn't know the artist, what would they search to find it? So that's, it's a song with, oh, it's got that guitar part, or it's got that electric part, or um, it's it's a ballad, or it's, uh, you know, about a breakup, or um, it's a love song. You know, basically that, those are the things that are going to, they're going to, uh, they're going to search for themes, you know, hooks that people tend to remember the lyric hook. Um, so just putting that in, you know, whatever platform you're, you're uploading your song to the more, the more metadata, the, the better. Absolutely. You know, it's, I rem- there, there's a, I'll, the publisher will remain anonymous. But <laughs> he told me one time talking about metadata and I won't curse on this podcast, but, but we try to keep it a family show, yeah. but we have had a few folks. <laughs> he said, uh, he said stuff in stuff out and you can replace stuff with the <laughs> word that you think. And so that's how you have to think about it. You know, it's gotta be, if, if it's great metadata, it's going to be great. It's going to be easy to find. If it's really bad metadata, then you're not going to get found. So, uh, just, do you have any way of describing what bad metadata is? Because the the reason I ask is I know a lot of artists will try and they'll just put the whole every Google search term they can think of right. in there, hoping that someone's going to find it based on unrelated things. Right, right. Um, I think it goes back to the point I was making. Think 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 in terms of of um, you know what that person would be searching for. So, for example, if I'm seeing on, on my song Happy, if I'm seeing a lot, of, uh, a lot of action with wedding stuff, well, then I would include that in my metadata for the next upload. I would put wedding song or, you know, something, you know, ceremony, some, something that would reference that, um, that, that would guide people to that song. You know, you kind of just have to, you kind of have to predict and you kind of have to adjust too. So, you know, say I've got a song in a platform and I've got metadata and then that song gets used after I've uploaded, it gets used in a TV show. Well, then I need to go back and add the TV show title and the episode and just, you know, as, as much relevant, up-to-date information you can, that, that's how you're going to be found for sure. You mentioned that uh, this had kind of blossomed into like getting tens of thousands of dollars every quarter. Did that stay consistent? Has it been kind of this thing that's just kind of continued to kind of build over time or did it kind of have a spike and then you have yeah, to keep... Yeah, it's been consistent. Um, obviously, it fluctuates a little bit, but um, I mean, this has been, you know, six or seven quarters now, um, maybe more, where it's it's been, you know, consistently substantial. Um, and, you know, platforms change. Some, some of them get popular more popular and less popular but uh you know youtube's not going away no <laughs> <laughs> anytime soon i mean I, I don't see anything but growth in that world so and i think we're just getting started in it well i love it because it's the idea of that your music is out there working for you even if you're moving on to other things that totally and it's not it's working in a, for you in a way that actually builds your brand as an artist and you know, people are connecting with it in different ways than you ever imagined. And uh, just for reference, uh, people may may not 
have an idea of when he's saying wedding videos, he's just talking about stuff shot on an iPhone. It could be that, but the ones that I've seen of yours that uh, you reference, one was like pretty fantastic cinematography. Some of them are amazing. I mean, this po- that one, there was one of uh, that wedding in, in Bali. Bali absolutely. Yeah. They, it's one they of my favorites. Thousands and thousands of dollars producing that for their wedding. I mean, I, th- I think what's happening is that uh, we're moving away from the traditional wedding photographer. Um, not moving away, but people are adding video into their the way that they want to remember their wedding. Yeah, and so I think that's what I think that's what we're seeing. And so it's it's professional, you know. I mean, yeah. if there's if there's one thing people spend money on, it's weddings, you know. And so. A lot of a lot of the videos are great. I mean, yeah. just really, really great stuff. And yeah. I've seen, you know, not just wedding videos, but other videos that are done really well. And people are getting better at that. Like even you can do amazing things with an iPhone now. Yeah, yeah. So that that's just wanted. We'll put a link uh, in the podcast show notes so people can see some of the videos we're talking about. Some of them are, yeah. It's not it's not a video camera sitting at the back of the room while you know this boring wedding walks sure. happens. It's like these professionally shot stories that mm-hmm. just happen to be about a wedding and they're using your music. Right. And, and, there, and there's and then, bad ones, Yeah, too. there's bad ones, too. <laughs> it's, the, it's the internet. There's always right. bad stuff. Right, right. <laughs> so um, let, let's talk a little bit about uh, the company you started, sure. Sword of Noise, and what you're doing there. And, and uh, yeah, and I mean... Just talk about that. Um, so, so I was doing my thing um, as Secrets in Stereo, and this is, you know, 07, 08... And uh, my older brother and his best friend growing up, they, they had started a, a production team and they were, you know, co-writing and um, producing all the Secrets and Stereo stuff. And so uh, we all kind of looked at each other one day and, and really identified that the industry was changing and being a traditional production team wasn't going to fly for too much longer. And so... They looked at what I was doing. I looked at what they were doing. I'm like, hey, how about we, you know, join forces here and do something, uh, you know, do something different, um, kind of rethink this. And so that's where Sword of Noise started, and it's evolved over the years and, you know, to, to what it is today, um, which is this incredible community of, of mostly Nashville-based artists um, that make and license music for picture. So that's anything from these digital things to... TV to movies and ads, um, and that's that's what we focus on solely. And so we have about 25 artists right now, and that's growing rapidly. Um, and we represent uh, all of their catalogs, and then we also, uh, you know, proactively write for TV shows and movies. We might get a script, we might get a video of a scene, um, we might get a brief for an ad that has been made or maybe it hasn't been made yet. Um, yeah, and, and that's what we do every day. And it's, it's, it's awesome because there's more, there's never been more of a need for music in TV ads, the digital space, and that's only growing. And so we're, we're really lucky to be in a really cool spot, uh, to do what we do for sure. So you guys are writing original music based on, like you said, people giving you, you know, you're basically pitching for a job and and you get the job to write but you guys are still creating a catalog just for like seeding the internet for like YouTube usage and yeah, stuff like everything, that. Yeah, everything we create, we, we absolutely uh, pass over to Rumblefish and, and get out into that world. Um, you know, we want it to be found for sure, especially if we've got, um, you know, a big, 
a big sink or a big ad. Um, we did a spot for Ikea um, uh, last year. And so um, we want that song. We want that song to be available for people to create their own ads, you know, online. How, how does that uh, conversation work uh, with like an Ikea? Was that an original song you wrote specifically for them? And they still let you, was there like a, a window of time that they had exclusivity or? Well, they have exclusivity with, with their category, which is the product category, which is furniture. Um, but yeah, that was an original song. We, we, uh, we worked with the ad agency in New York, Ogilvy. Um, and it was an awesome, awesome experience. And we actually wrote the song before the ad was even shot. We just had a brief and what they wanted. And, uh, we wrote a number of songs, uh, with a couple of artists and it got narrowed down to, uh, an artist named Holly Mayer, um, who's had, uh, a ton of, of songs used in TV and film and advertising. Um, and it's a great song. It's a, it's a, it's a really great song. I think that was key. You know, it wasn't a jingle. It, it was a standalone amazing song. And that's what, that's why it worked. Um, it's called the only walls for me. And the ad was just really about, it was kind of set in the morning of, it was, it was a very, very non over the top ad, which I loved. It was very just common. What do you do when you get up? And, and that's what the song represented as well. Just everyday life pretty much. So yeah, it was uh, it was original song, and and they licensed that song from us, and then um, it's still out there. And they let you have free reign with it mm-hmm. on YouTube. Yeah, and obviously, else. You know, we can't we can't go to another competitor and say, hey, you should use this. <laughs> I don't know why they would want to use it, but um, but yeah, it, we can we can we. I think they want it out there as much as possible too, because it it represents their brand. They obviously feel that way. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, cool. Well, um, we could probably talk for hours <laughs> right. about that whole angle, but uh, sure. uh, we'll save that for another podcast. But um, I always like to ask artists when they come on the podcast um, any mistakes, stories they have, or common mistakes they see artists make, or any 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 helpful tips or, or words of advice. But you know, oh, that's a whole podcast. Yeah, mis- mistakes. <laughs> uh, we always enjoy laughing at our own mistakes, and and artists, we're a we're a funny bunch. We do some crazy, wacky things at times, and I think it's good that, to not uh, feel like you're alone. Yeah, I mean, you know, we we had a we had a management business uh, for a number of years, and so I, I was managing a couple of artists, and so I'm, you know, I, I have probably an interesting perspective on this. Um, I I think. I, yeah, that's a whole podcast where, <laughs> where we could get into things. But I, I think that generally, and I and I am absolutely guilty of this, I think that, that artists kind of live in live in their own weeds and uh, they tend they tend to overestimate how many people know who they are and know about their music. And um, I think if there's if there's if there's one piece of advice, it's build a story. Um, and you'll know when the story is connecting because it'll naturally connect. I see so many artists uh, going and, and getting publicists before they even have an EP out. And I'm like, why would you, you know, a publicist doesn't create a story. They tell a story that's already exists. And so, you know, if there's one piece of advice, it's take your time. It's not ever going to happen overnight. Find how you want to build your story, whether that's sync or whether that's a, a you know, you're a, making covers on YouTube, however you need it, whether it's live, whatever you need to do, build a story and then start from there and focus in on that. Don't get the cart before the horse and 
think that tactics are going to create uh, your story. You know, just because you're on college radio doesn't mean people care. <laughs> you know, and and so you gotta you gotta build the care first, yeah. and then feed that care with college radio or with shows or with yeah. whatever it might be. Yeah. That's good advice. We talk about building a story a lot on the podcast, so I, mm-hmm. I think that's good advice um, to end on. And that's it's hard, and it's a hard thing to is. do, and that's why people skip it sometimes. Yeah, but well, you got to do it, you know. Yeah, and and that's not a. I don't know if this will be picked up on the mics. That's not a buzzer. Me saying your time's up. That's a train <laughs> right. going by. Get out of here. <laughs> Get out of time's <laughs> up. Out. You should jump on the, that train. Yeah. No. No. That's great advice because it is. It is the story. It's. It's a. Most artists that have a career that that people are in want to follow along have a, a story and it's usually a long story that's still totally. unfolding and, and always interesting what i always tell artists is that um you know things have changed so so what it used to be is it was a have and a have not world so you you were either have and you were on a major label or you were have not and you weren't and you really didn't have a way to connect but now things have changed so much that you know the major label construct and machine has been completely broken down and these things are all good and it's you know it's been democratized and all that and you can reach directly to fans and that's all good stuff but it also makes it harder because mm-hmm. now you have to choose you're not you're not going to get plugged into a machine or not you have to choose what your path is and so there is no silver bullet anymore there's just a bunch of different questions with a bunch of different answers and your question might be extremely unique to you and your answer is going to be extremely unique and so you've got to find out what that question is how are you going to connect what's your path and then follow that you know don't wait for anybody to 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 make your path for you nobody cares about your music more than you do you know i think that's the key thing to remember i love it i love all what you just said Cool. Great. I don't perfect I blacked out. So <laughs> <it was> good. <laughs> Whatever you said, it was great. <laughs> that is how you debate. That's, that's, no, no, it was good. I think that was some great advice. Um, we will put links to some of the videos that uh, they can see how your music has been used in various ways. We'll put that in the podcast notes. We will. Uh, they can find your music online as Secrets and Stereo, and they can go to sortednoise.com and find out what you're doing on the licensing front. And uh, for artists that want to tap into the kind of micro licensing that Josh was talking about, you can do that through CD Baby. So, we're great having you, Josh. And awesome. we, we still got we still got to figure out your your brother probably was one of my roommates or something at one point. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> it's just like we got to we'll figure this out. out. We're working, working out. out off mic. Thanks for coming all the way to Portland on this. No, thanks for having and, me. Yeah, and uh, thanks so much, man. Awesome. Thanks again to Josh Collum. All the music you've been hearing in this podcast is his band, Secrets in Stereo, which have been licensed through Rumblefish. If you're a podcaster or somebody who wants to use music in their videos, whether it be a wedding video like his, uh, Josh has seen happen over and over again, just head it over to rumblefish.com. You can license lots of great independent music tracks and put them in your videos. The artist gets paid. You've done it legally. It's a great thing for everybody, and there's lots of good music there. So rumblefish.com to do that. And if you are an artist and you want to take advantage of the partnership that CD Baby has with Rumblefish, who powers the, the, the sync licensing program, you can sign up at cdbaby.com and uh, just opt into the sync licensing program, and Rumblefish will take care of you. So uh, and start monetizing your music on all these different platforms. Uh, thanks again to uh, to Romelfish for uh, supplying us tracks and to Josh Collum. 
And uh, if, if you have a Microsync success story you'd like to share or just want to weigh in on the idea or have a question or want to comment on anything that we've talked on the podcast, you can do so. Our listener line is 360-524-2209. Or you can email us at podcast at cdbabypodcast.com. And you can leave comments in the show notes um, next to this episode on the website at cdbabypodcast.com. And you never know, we might just play your call or read your email on the episode. So we love getting your feedback, so feel free to do that. And I hope to see you in Chicago in October. And that's going to do it for this episode. Bye. been listening to the cd baby diy musician podcast broadcasting from portland oregon usa 